Thank you for joining us for the second episode of A Bit Above Podcast. On Fridays, our episodes are more conversation-based. We just get on Zoom and we just chat and have conversations. Our first guest, his name is Joshua Nichols. Joshua told us about how he was raised. He talked about how he got into therapy and what kind of therapy he does. So he talked about just therapy in general, answering some questions that I know I have and I know other people have about therapy. We got to talk about anxieties, which I know is such a popular topic. Go ahead and listen to our interview with Josh and let us know if he answered some of your questions that you had. Hello and welcome to A Bit Above Podcast. I'm Audra. And I'm Hadassah. And we are two average women living oceans apart. Our show displays a reachable lifestyle where we work to be better versions of ourselves in our day-to-day life. We know that the constant strive for perfection can lead to anxieties and disappointment, so we make changes that enhance our lives without giving up the things we love. Join us each week as we chat about motherhood, positivity, feel-good stories, relationships, and everything in between. Welcome, Joshua, to our podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me today. Can you introduce yourself and tell us what your profession is and where you're from? Sure. Yes. Uh, As you guys have said, my name is Josh Nichols. Uh, I am a licensed marital and family therapist in the state of Oklahoma. I'm also certified as a sex addiction therapist as well, which is more of a, a niched area in the field of mental health and addiction. I operate a private practice out of Oklahoma City. It's a group practice called Family Solutions, and I'm a co-owner of that. There's a lot of different things that we do here. Obviously, in doing podcasts and things of that nature, I tend to venture out of the box a little bit to talk about a lot of things, mental health related, relational health, or even as they pertain to uh, life events or world events and things like that. When and how did you know you want to become a therapist? So my journey to becoming a therapist began when I was a kid. Of course, I didn't know that when I was a kid. As I look back on it, I see the therapist in me as a child, you know, and I could see it being nurtured and kind of manifesting itself. So basically, um, I was a bit of an empath, like I always felt a, a desire to help people, like to help people smile when they're sad and things of that nature. But it wasn't a, until my parents divorced they divorced when I was 19. They told us they were separating uh, the summer after I graduated high school. And so I was already headed to college and I was on my way to do more uh, art or ad design type work. That's what I, why I wanted to go to college. Through that experience of their divorce, I realized I just really wanted to help people. The trauma of that for me was that I, I tried to help them and it obviously didn't succeed. I felt like the help that they had received was inadequate, but I think a lot of it was they just didn't know certain resources were available. Um, I went on to school and my only point of reference for people that help people like that were psychiatrists or psychologists, uh, but the, I, the concept of a master's level clinician is not something that was on my radar. So unless you wanted to go to med school or get your PhD, the other people that were 
helping people in my mind were ministers. And so I went that route until along the way I met a marriage family therapist who was one of my college professors who introduced me to this whole world of uh, mental health that uh, I did not know existed. And I completely fell in love with it. And then it was all all over at that point when that, that set me down a path to end up where I am today. When and how did you know you want to become a therapist? When I started out in college, I went ahead and, and made my major ad design just to uh, because I wasn't sure how I wanted to do this other part of my life yet. And after about a semester of majoring in that, I decided that I didn't want to do it because of the uh, stressful nature of that industry. Like just the idea, I was getting the impression that the people in that industry, they were constantly having to come up with new ideas and create daily. And it just seemed really stressful to have to do that every day. So I uh, ended up changing my major at that point. The irony there is that that's what we do in mental health too, is we're constantly faced with a different challenge every single day. You know, if I see anywhere between five to seven clients a day and every single one of them has something that's unique about them where the approach has to be different through creativity on um, the interventions have to be tweaked a little bit each time. And so uh, I ended up doing it anyways. So that was the long way of saying yes. How does someone know when the right time to go to therapy is? So that's a really good question because the problem with that is really in the question itself. And, and of course, it's a common question. So I'm glad you asked it that way because that's a, that's how most people would ask it. The problem I have with the question is the word right. As a culture, we like to fixate on right and wrong. We, we really want to make things black and white. It makes it easier for us to make decisions. And sometimes we have to do that just for the sake of sanity, right? But there isn't a right time. There might be better times or a time that's not as good as another time, you know, and there's always a level of risk in it. But I think, uh, you know, to the listeners out there who are considering going and seeking help or who's asking that question specifically, I think a, a better way to ask it would be, what are some ways I could measure to know that I'm ready? I think that's what it boils down to is some people will come in before they're ready and they, uh, you know, won't last very long in the process. I'm thinking of one person specifically, but I know this is probably so common of just having that thought of, well, I haven't experienced something bad enough to even need therapy. Yes, uh, that's a very good point. And it's kind of a. Uh uh, it's a, it's the same question, but a different question, you know, or, you know, it fits within that umbrella. Anyways, you don't have to have something horrible happen to you, you know, or at least in the ways that we think of what a, a typical horrible thing would be. And it's usually overt. So it's obvious. It's, it's something that's easy to measure. A lot of times people come to therapy for things that they don't know what's happened. It's a very subtle, um, uh, whatever has happened, it manifests itself in a way that's very subtle and uh, you really have a hard time identifying it because trauma is something that we all experience in our lives. Most of us are going to think of trauma as something as like child abuse or sexual abuse or, you know, you were 12 years old and your your brother died or something like that. Divorce would even fall into that. It's a little bit more 
obvious, easy to measure. For most people, trauma is very subtle. It comes often in the form of neglect, feeling unsafe, or maybe you grew up in a family that was a great family. They just didn't really know how to help facilitate emotion management. And then on top of that, there's just a lot of other variables you have to deal with in life that don't involve your family. And they may never know about it. Like if you were abused at school, for example, or there was bullying, or you didn't feel like you fit in with your peer group. If you faced uh, some kind of physical physical defect or something like maybe a cleft palate or you had a stutter or something like that that really kind of sets you apart from your community base as a kid. And that basically throws kids into survival mode. Most people, when they are truly ready to start this process, they feel like that they've tried everything that's made sense to them and it hasn't worked. So it's, I really have left no stone unturned and I need to turn this one now. What I tell people is that what's hard about therapy is that if you've tried everything that makes sense to you, it hasn't worked. The logical next step is to start trying things that don't make much sense to you. I decided I'm ready to go to therapy. How do I find a therapist and what should I be looking for when it comes to my personal needs? The first thing is to try to identify the the best you can what's going on for you. If it's uh, anxiety, depression, or if it's some form of addiction or sexually compulsive behavior, for example, that's what I specialize in when working with people, or there's been infidelity or relationship is another thing that I specialize in. You're probably not going to get to the core of it. That's what your therapist is there to help you with, but just something is a little bit beneath the surface to kind of know so that you don't pick somebody that doesn't specialize in the thing that you're there to get help for. When you're researching people, you're looking on their websites and things like that. You're, you're looking for, does this person address the issue that at least to some capacity that I am dealing with? And does it appear, do they appear to be someone that is good at it? They seem to know what they're doing just based upon your research that you're doing. Then the next step is to call. And there's a lot of courage that takes in calling, emailing, reaching out. When you get into that office or you're doing it online or whatever means that you're going going through this process. And one thing I tell people to remember is that you still might find someone that's not the right fit. And when you have gone through all those steps, it took all that courage to do that. It can be really disheartening when it's not a good experience. So I just try to remind people sometimes that happens. And when you find yourself in a situation that's not a good fit, give up on your therapist. Don't give up on therapy. Yeah, this also works for dating, just saying. It's the same thing. You, <laughs> yes. know, you, you play the field and see what's up. That's a, that's a very good uh, way of looking at it. We kind of intuitively understand that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes when people have been hurt really badly, they will, will at least express that, you know, make a vow. I'm done with dating. I, you know, and sometimes maybe they are, you know, but <laughs> a lot of times over time, they will. <laughs> they always end up dating again. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I literally, I'm having a flashback at 16 because you know so much at 16. I said, I give up on boys. That's it. I don't need a boyfriend. The very next morning, I re-bumped into someone I knew and I've been with them 25 years later. I will say it's much easier to follow through on that vow to give up 
something when it comes to a therapist. Some reason the way our brains work, our mental health and relational health issues are very personal to us beyond what you might think of as like your uh, medical record, for example. We are more likely to talk to people about, you know, what our bodies are doing that's weird and what we had to go to the doctor for far before we would talk about why or if we even went to a therapist. If someone has a bad experience in uh, the therapy room, um, there's a lot of people that have said no more, never again, and they stuck with it. Yeah, well, I mean, much like dating, a lot of this is on Zoom or virtual. What can you tell someone who's thinking about starting therapy? And it's like, wait, it's online. It's virtual. Is it the same? Will it have the same effect on me? So again, yeah, that's a, a common question people are asking and also one that I've had. So we, we didn't go virtual in our clinic until COVID. I mean, we were making steps in that direction, actually. Most therapists or at least uh, therapists that are my age and older, which I'm 40, you know, we didn't grow up in the the age of technology like uh, some of the therapists that are in their you know mid-20s and so uh, you know we really value that in-person experience which I think there will always be something to be said for that like there's nothing that can replace that but when COVID happened we were forced to do something because we couldn't be doing it in person and now even though we are able to see people in person uh, with very strict rules behind that following CDC guidelines most of our clients are opting for virtual. I was actually really surprised on how good it can be. I do my therapy virtually since two years or something. It rocks. I wear my pajamas. I'm in bed. I'm, I got my blanket around me. doesn't matter what I'm wearing. It's amazing. It does matter what you're wearing. I will throw that out. <laughs> Sometimes people aren't wearing much and they forget that they're on camera. And, uh, that sounds like TikTok videos where the people are on <laughs> Zoom classes and then <laughs> try to shut the camera off and are doing things that are way too inappropriate to talk about. <laughs> Or the ones who haven't put their face on their makeup and they realize everyone else has and they've got video. <laughs> so they flip it up and quickly throw their face on. Today, I was just talking to someone about how we're going to see crazy amounts of research come out on how COVID has affected people in all, all these different ways. And I bet you we're going to see research done on what on how uh, it has impacted people staring at themselves in Zoom, right? We do know like from personal friends of ours that run like certain clinics for Botox, things like that, that they've seen an increase in business because of people having to stare at themselves all day. Wow. What an interesting thought. The friend of mine I was talking to is a therapist. When we were talking about that, I was like, so you do know that Zoom has a feature that'll kind of just kind of polish you up a little bit, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's like, really? (laughs) She's like, that's awesome. And so she went uh, onto Zoom and went to set it. And it was already set. <laughs> oh my it's God. not funny, but it's funny. I just want to say to any of my friends here listening, if we are Zooming, I'm looking at myself. <laughs> I might have to look at Botox. I look at everybody else. Really? So you see my eyes going to the left, the right, oh. up, down, whoever's talking. That's where it's I'm so staring awkward because I'm always looking at myself when we talk. I probably look cross-eyed then great thanks i don't know because i'm looking at myself i have no idea (laughs) 
But if you really think about it is the psychological or emotional phenomenon that happens. I mean, we don't go through life like when we're visiting with people, we don't see what we look like. You know what I mean? And, and right now at this time, we are seeing ourselves with every almost every conversation that we're having, you know, because we're on um, some kind of digital platform. Wow. I mean, you think about all the things that COVID has changed in our life, but it's those things that you don't think about that we're going to find out in five years or so. Before we get off the topic of therapy, I want to talk about the stigma because I know in 2021 in America, therapy may have been a little bit destigmatized, but here where I live, there's still a huge stigma around it. So can you talk about why is there a stigma around therapy? Has it changed? Have you noticed any change? So I do think that the stigma has slowly been decreasing, you know, and maybe through uh, certain current events, it, it might even gotten a, a lot less. You know, we give the millennials a hard time. I haven't read any research on it. I've probably I probably should, but um, I actually kind of wonder if we can thank the millennials for that in a lot of ways. They seem to be a lot more uh, or a lot less uh, afraid of therapy than my generation or the ones before us. The question of why does this happen? Um, I think it just has a lot to do with empowerment. We have to remember like in the in the grand scheme of humans, therapy is a baby. This concept of letting someone inside of your mind where your deepest, your darkest, your your most unfiltered thoughts and feelings are. We don't like the idea of like mind reading, right? For those reasons, if we could actually read someone's mind. So I can imagine, especially like first came on the scene, like it's it's kind of unsettling to think about. I don't want people knowing those things, you know, I, that's why we filter our stuff so that, uh, and that's why we have journals and diaries that we expect people to never touch or read, you know? <laughs> if Snapchat could only come out with a filter feelings, I'd be awesome. <laughs> filter <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Sounds like a million dollar idea right there. We have a myth debunking fire round. So it's going to go rapid. We want quick responses to these myths that are out there. All right. All right. Here we go. A therapist will force me to discuss things I don't want to talk about. Absolutely not. A good therapist would never do that. And in fact, a good therapist would encourage you to pace yourself. This type of information, just like we were, we were talking about with the stigma thing, you know, it's it's unsettling the idea to let somebody in like that. So whatever your darkness is, you know, which we all have it, is very privileged information. And you should feel like the person that you're delivering it to has really earned the right to hear it. So I would never expect somebody to come in on day one and just dump it all on day one. That's completely unrealistic and even inappropriate if a therapist were ever to expect that from a client. I literally had this song, Hello Darkness. Wait, what was it? Hello Darkness, my old friend. Yes. Why? I don't even, okay. If there was a fire, we were not rapid enough. (laughs) (laughs) Fire the firing round. Yeah, especially if you're singing Hello Darkness, my old friend. A little little mellow for a rapid fire. I can't help it. I'm old school. All right. I can fix my problems on my own. I stand behind this one. Just saying. That's a much more difficult question. There is a yes and no part of it. And there is also a problem with the question itself. So let me just start with the problem I have with the question. And that is the word fix. I do not like that word. And when we apply it to people, because we are not 
cars or some kind of machinery where, where we break and then you replace a part and it's fixed. The philosophical approach I come from with it is that uh, you're not broken. So anybody listening to this, if you're going into your therapist, like some people do with me and say, Josh, can you fix me? Tell them no, because there's nothing to fix. You don't, you don't go to therapy to be fixed. You go to therapy for healing, for perspective and introspection and to try to create, uh, you know, new dynamics and new patterns in your life. Do I think you need therapy to do that? No, I think you, you can do that in other ways, uh, but we're talking about professional therapy. So if you're doing it in other ways, it's still therapy. It's just not what you would think of as therapy. Therapy is too expensive. I think what people have to realize is that there are multiple ways to get the help that you need. And if you're thinking that there's just this one way and I got to go dish out a hundred plus dollars a session to do this, you're limiting yourself in what is available out there. So yes, it is expensive, but there are uh, ways that it become very affordable. Let your therapist know that money is a concern. Like any therapist that is really trying to help you, they don't want to create another problem while you're trying to deal with this one. When choosing what topic to talk to you about today, Joshua, I kept coming back to anxiety because it's such a common problem, especially now being home, being isolated. So I was hoping that we can chat about anxiety a bit. What is anxiety? Okay, so everybody has anxiety first of all. And I think that, you know, we could technically define it. I think, you know, most people know, you know, it's a physiological response to certain stimuli, basically, right? It's, it's the thing that helps you stay aware and stay vigilant in life, really. So always have some level of anxiety functioning in us at all times that's normal and it's healthy. It manifests in different ways. Like, for example, if you have one of those moments in time where you feel butterflies in your stomach, you know, that's anxiety, right? And and you have to remember your your brain's one job, really, like its primary job is to keep you alive. So all the different, you know, idiosyncratic things that happens to you when it comes to your emotions, whether it's anxiety or sadness and things like that. People my age will will remember a guy by the name of Cal Ripken Jr. His nickname in baseball was Iron Man because uh, he uh, holds the record for most consecutive starts in Major League Baseball, which is some crazy number, like over 2,000. But even Cal Ripken Jr. said, you know, he never stepped out on that field in the first inning and didn't feel butterflies in his stomach. He says, you need those. You need those to help you stay aware. It helps you uh, do your job well, you know. So anxiety is there to help you. It's only when we we have trouble managing it or uh, your brain start uh, starts to think you're in danger all the time that it starts to get a bit sensitive and give you a lot of false alarms. And then that's when anxiety disorders usually are formed or created. All right. So I was going to say, how do I know if I'm experiencing anxiety? But as you said, we all have it. It's there. I know mine runs rampant. And how do I explain it to those around me, like a doctor, a friend, parent, your boss? Do you guys know where you feel it? when you're anxious or when you're stressed? Or- Absolutely. It just comes on. I feel my heart flutter and then I want to pass out. It feels like a stomach ache. It feels like excitement. It feels like nerves. It feels literally all feels the same. I don't, I never know if I'm anxious, if I just need the bathroom or if I'm excited about something. Oh, that might be TMI, but the bathroom <laughs> thing, legit. Like if I have to leave somewhere <laughs> or I'm nervous or especially in a hospital, 
I have to use the bathroom often. I always had stomach aches and I didn't eat anything weird. I went through my whole life with stomach aches and now I'm like, dang, did I just have anxiety? <laughs> Way back when living in, in your cave and, and you might have to uh, uh, run from some ginormous prehistoric mosquito or something. It's not going to help you to have a bladder full of stuff. You know, when you we have all this coding in our DNA that's like you feel anxious, you know, you, you need to empty your bladder because you might have to you might have to run. You might have to fight. Uh, Audra, when you mentioned uh, when it, passing out, I don't know if that's more from the uh, being over oxygenated or the lack thereof. Uh, but for a lot of people, they when they get anxious, they'll feel fatigued. They just want to sleep. You know, and again, it's a response your body has to protect you. I think it's really important to pay attention to what's happening in your body. That requires you to pause. And when people feel anxious, they want to move. You know, it's, it, again, it's kind of like that, that fight or flight response. So if you can just pause, you know, find a cozy chair to sit in and try to identify where it's at in your body. So you figure out that you are feeling that way. What do you do next? Some of the things that I encourage people to do are a concept called grounding techniques. And so do you care if I give you guys one that, that you Please might? Thank uh, you. Yeah. So this is my favorite one. Uh, it's something that I even use for myself, especially during times like these that we're in now where there's so much uncertainty in life. This comes from a popular author named Eckhart Tolle. Have you guys heard of him? Uh, yeah. I have four books <laughs> oh, for Christmas, oh, all about it. Yeah. He really has some good stuff. Basically what you do is that you just find Wherever you are, when it, whenever you realize you're battling these feelings, you can't get your mind to turn off. First, uh, what I encourage people to do is breathe first, is to get some deep breaths in, kind of regulate their heart rate. But then just to ask themselves this question, in this very moment right now, the moment you are in down to the absolute nanosecond that you can get to, you know what I mean? Ask yourself, is everything okay right now? And I think what people will find out is that the answer will always be the same. And that is, yes, everything's okay. Because what Eckhart Tolle says you're doing right here is you're basically turning your mind off. His approach here or his, the philosophy here is really neat. Uh, at least I find it fascinating that he basically kind of identifies when you are truly present, that is a point in time when you're operating outside of time. And I love that idea. It's fascinating to me. You know, when you really think about it, like right now, it's just me, Hadassah, Audra, it's just us three right here, right now. And all the stuff that's happened in our lives that are hard, if we experience those things now, we have to experience those through our imagination. You know, we have to recall those through our memories. All the things that we're worried about in the future that we need to plan for, those also have to happen in our imagination. And I don't think Eckhart Tolle would even say that you don't deal with your past and don't plan for the future. That would be ridiculous. But uh, that's not the problem, though. The problem is that we have a very hard time being present. There's also a meditative uh, things, too, and a couple of really good apps. And I sometimes hate to be cliche and just refer people to apps, but Headspace and a uh, calm heart, you know, have some really good stuff on there. Audra, don't get so excited. I am all about the calm app. I cannot promote them enough. Oh, she talks about, <laughs> oh, the calm app, the calm app. I still use Headspace when I get on planes because I have such bad fear of flying. That's so funny. I have yeah. the opposite. I'm like, I hope it's like turbulence. I hope it's up and down because I'm bored. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's the second flight ever. They had to lower the plane like a thousand feet. I thought we were all going to die. <laughs> I, I have a thing about keeping my feet on the ground and I drove to Florida from New Hampshire 
twice yeah. because I refuse to get on a plane. Oh. If I my feet aren't on a solid ground, I'm in panic mode. I've okay. got the wrist thing that doesn't work, but it just looks good. I got vertigo meds going on. <laughs> taking whatever i can i don't drink so there's no alcohol i'm chugging water like it's a whiskey or something people just look at me and i'm like don't who's gonna take a boat to leg europe <laughs> yeah i know i've the furthest i've gone is three and a half hours to florida yeah. twice yet again on a plane yeah got vertigo from either the plane or the boat don't what happened i'm with you on that i would never judge you for that because uh, every time i get on the plane i'm like i, I have this feeling of like there's something really unnatural about what we're about to do. <laughs> well i definitely use the calm app i track my feelings every single night which i have i just told my daughter 406 days in a row that i've had it three years should be way wow, more really but anyway crazy. Well, I've never I done do that. something that consistent before in my life. I think it's just interesting because they have like little emojis and they know I'm all about an emoji <laughs> with my text. So <laughs> there's another opportunity to use one. I'm all over it. But yeah. you track it and I can go back through the month and I can see it. So you can yeah. also do like your menstrual cycle. You can see what a crazy you were the week before. Oh, my husband can, should get that and track my my cycles that he can figure he needs it out. A clue out. That's a whole nother that's all episode. Oh, with Why'd the you calm, think? you get your 10 minute um meditation, your music, your your bedtime <laughs> stories. Matthew McConaughey can talk you to sleep. Corey came in one wow. night. It's like some strange guy's talking to you. I had to leave the room. <laughs> I don't even know who Matthew McConaughey McConaughey is. Oh, we're going to pop culture well, that later. That's the answer to all anxiety treatment questions is Matthew McConaughey. Drive oh. off the road hearing him speak. I like to listen to ASMR, which is ridiculous. I get it, whatever. But one time my husband made me sleep on the couch because <laughs> he didn't like the idea that there was someone whispering in my ears and he was like, no way I'm going to have that. I was like, oh, guys. Josh, how do we find you on social media? My handle for Facebook uh, Twitter and Instagram are, is the same. All three of those are the same. Um, and that is uh, at Mr. Nicholsworth. Um, and Nichols is spelled like my last name, which is N-I-C-H-O-L-S. But also I'd like your listeners to also know about our my YouTube channel, which is called Recovery TV. Just enter into the URL, youtube.com slash recovery TV then the number four and the letter U afterwards. Now I'll take you right to that channel. And we'll have all those links on our social media as well. So you can find them there. We really do appreciate that you took the time to talk to us. And I really hope you come back because this is just the beginning. We have way more stuff that we want to discuss. And we're just appreciative that you took the time out to chat with us. I feel very grateful to be here and I can't wait to come back. We want to hear your feedback on the interview. If you have more questions for Josh, then we're going to have him back. That's for sure. So send us a DM or you can find him on social media and reach out to him. Next week, our podcast comes out on Wednesday and we'll talk about things like self-care and a lot of other things that we won't spoil right now. So check us out on Instagram at uh, a bit above pod.
This is where you can DM us all your questions, comments, and bring up subjects that you want to know about in the future. And I just want to add before we go, I just want to thank me personally. I know, Audrey, you feel this way for everyone that reached out to us after the first episode. It really makes us feel good that you enjoy the first episode and that you're excited to hear more. So I appreciate you so much. You have no idea. 